Hello and welcome back to part two of my conversation with Steve Levine. Steve is the editor of The Electric, a publication on batteries and electric vehicles owned by The Information, a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council's Foresight, Strategy, and Risk Initiative, and an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. So Steve, I want to talk now, uh, as a professor at Georgetown University, you know the importance of educating future leaders of tomorrow. So what are some of these key issues and core issues that you think students should be aware of when they're trying to monitor and explore this energy transition in battery space? You know, as a fellow graduate student, I'm always trying to figure out what are the things that I need to be aware of in this space? Yeah. Okay. The first thing to know is that if this space interests you as a geologist or as a mineralogist, you got a job for your whole life and you and you will be well paid there there are there is such a shortage of uh, of people in all parts of this field and that's you know from folks in in uh metals and that's that's across metals right so that's you know the the folks who have the various specialist uh, specialties on on mining in processing um and uh engineering um uh you know the the chemistry the physics uh, and 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 then in the you know the actual batteries themselves you know figuring out you know right there NMC has gone through a a sequence of development someone with these specialties figured out how to make a stable cathode using exactly the same minerals but in in a, a different composition and so like I really advise you if you have this interest like. Go for it, and 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 what what not to do? Don't be like me, like a just a, like a dude studying it and writing about it, or being an analyst, right? Be the actor, right? The the ones that's where the shortage is, right? And and so uh, be a geologist, be a mineralogist, be you know that whole there's a whole array of engineers. They're in huge shortage. They can command. You'll have five job offers like straight out of school and, and, and you can name your own salary. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my answer. You know, we talk about the need for geologists and mineralogists and the technical experts. However, one of the biggest gaps that I believe exists, however, when you go through D.C., you're never going to admit that it exists, is that to me, there seems to be a lack of analysts that understand the metals and the mining sector. Now, there's a lot of people that have transitioned from oil and gas and went in and involved into this sector. But I, I'm wondering if, because especially teaching at Georgetown, if there's a need for more coursework on metals and mining and these energy transition materials, because that to me seems like a massive gap right now in the education level at an international affairs perspective, because I don't know how many schools in DC or other schools that are teaching future political leaders or future decision makers about these critical material needs. Just to put it into perspective, uh, when I talk about mineral security nexus and give my talks, and I've talked at class some at George Washington, some students will come up to me and say, well, minerals don't matter. You know, food and water is important. And those are security threats like food and water. You hear about it all the time. And to an international affairs student, they understand that. But minerals doesn't always translate to a security issue from an IR student or something like that. So I'm wondering what opportunity do you think could exist for more you know, awareness as far as international affairs and political science students. Okay, so everything you just said is correct. Metals, minerals, materials of all types really matter. And they have geopolitical importance. They have policy, strategic, economic 
financial Im importance, you know, critical importance, and they will for as long as we live and our, and our children and our grandchildren. That's everything in front of you comes from that. The whole lifestyle that you live relies on that. Almost no one gets this. And, uh, and, and even if they get it uh, notionally, it means, you know, how, how, to st how to assess it, you know, how to put together the, how to identify the facts. That's not, that's not known. How to, how to, uh, to have a lot, you know, a, an active, uh, active judgment on this. So not only do you understand what you're reading today, but you can assess as things go along and things go forward. The, these are, uh, are skills that are necessary. Um, and, and, and so I, I don't want to discourage anyone from, uh, from, uh, going into this if you want, but what I can tell you is, is that like, there is no shortage of international relations, uh, you know, domestic relations, political science, um, students and uh, in Washington, you know, of, of, of people, it's like saying, you know, because we know we need lawyers that we should encourage people to go into law. No, people will naturally, there will naturally be enough lawyers and there will naturally be enough IR people and they should get the kind of education you are talking about. Yes. Let's stress that. Let's get that into the curriculum. Um, but in terms of what we need to in actively encourage and pound the drum, we need these technical people. And when my father was uh, a young man, there was a, you know, a public campaign to get engineers. People weren't going into engineering. And this is the, the beginning of the space age. And they needed you know, hundreds of thousands of these people you know, it was a you know this geopolitical race with the Soviet Union, and they they got them, and it's like that, and so we need them. So clearly, there's there's a lot going on in the world right now <laughs> when it comes to geopolitics and all these different topics, um, especially risk around mineral supply chains and this increasing investment and interest by the United States in the mineral space. Whether or not we're there yet on getting and implementing everything, there's definitely an interest there. So could you maybe speak a little bit more on your thoughts briefly on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and maybe some of the implications, and you've already noted this in the first episode, that it's going to have on the EV space, especially with nickel, maybe. If you're looking just at Russia and Ukraine, you know, there's a little bit of a disruption. Like nickel hasn't really been, uh, uh, Russia produces 20% of the nickel, uh, of the battery grade nickel that hasn't been disrupted it's still flowing um, some of the EV products were made in Ukraine and a few of the car makers um, have had to shut down Volkswagen specifically because some of the parts that they use are, are made in in Ukraine but on a, on a larger level you have to look at, at the larger canvas it it has created uncertainty now this, the way the the world order was set up for the last seventy five years was that uh, that borders were inviolate, right? That that once a border was set, you couldn't mess with. That was the lesson of World War II: don't mess with the borders, and uh, you know, especially in in Europe. This has the the invasion of Ukraine has brought that into question, and it's for you know for example. Um, a, a, a primary question right now is: Will China now invade Taiwan, right? As a 
as a result. The geopolitical uh, conclusion to derive from the war in, in Ukraine is that that world of certainty that that just in our presumptions, the geopolitical map is over. Like that's finished and, and we're in a new one. We don't know what the new one is, but all of the presumptions regarding the rules that governed the getting of the raw materials that, that underlie our entire global economy, this is brought into question. No, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly. I think that that is uh, the kind of scary future that we're going to have to face right now and trying to figure out how do you bring back certainty or how do you can at least create that. And I, and I, you know, from my perspective and the work that we've been doing with the State Department, you know, trying to develop some sort of methodology to keep continuously monitor some of these supply chains and commodities so that you can try to, if not guarantee certainty, at least know if something is going to be politically uncertain. And a lot of the times you keep on seeing situations that arise and it's like you're getting hit blindsided every time and you and you want to try to reduce that as much as possible um and for that political risk perspective so one of the things that's really really interesting that came out just a few days ago was president biden's uh invoking the defense production act which will of course give the government more avenues to provide support for mining and processing and recycling of these critical materials especially for the ev sector um, the ones that, of course, were highlighted were lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite, and manganese. So maybe you can you have some thoughts on what this means, especially when we were talking about battery chemistries going forward, especially when we're talking about nickel and cobalt here. I'm I'm kind of disappointed, honestly. You know that 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 the there's you know I called around to um you know the people who I trust, and people are really happy that you know you got on the presidential level, um you know uh, attention to these metals and him sitting in on meetings in, in involving battery factories. It's never happened. And, but that's, you know, like for me, that's small bore. Yes, it's nice, but it's window dressing. You know, it takes seven to 10 years to get one of these factories up, uh, go, going right for, or, or mine, you know, these, these mines up from conception, from your idea, to, to, to actually do, delivering or and in the United States, it, it said that the same thing can be done in Canada in three years. We got to speed up our process and we've got, um, you know, we may have no mines built. Why? Because um, Americans want their final product, but they don't want mining to have been done to produce that. If you say that, then you are exporting your dirty laundry to some other country, right? So you, so your judgment is that you don't want, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a dirty industry going on in your backyard in your country. So it's okay if it's in some other country. No, it's not. <laughs> and so therefore, if the if these products are made in the United States. We should be as as much as we can producing our own stuff and taking care of the environmental issues re regarding that stuff here. And it needs to be done quickly. And so you guys got to sit down with the regulators, with the miners, and you guys got to come up with the best possible uh, um, arrangement that gets the stuff done in the cleanest way, most responsible way, and quickly. Biden did, did not do that. One of the things that was really interesting, they had um, 
a congressional hearing the other day at the Natural Resources Committee um, that Joe Manchin leads. One of the officials from USGS there was talking about actions and next steps of how do we kind of go forward. And they listed off like working with allies, recycling, substitutes. But the last thing on the list was more domestic mining, which I think is really interesting because that puts this all into perspective from a political optics side of things, right? Is that the NIMBY challenges and the education challenges and getting the American population to understand the material needs for what they want and how you have to engage and actually mine it here if you want to do it right and safely and environmentally sound and socially responsible because we have more control here than we do like you say exporting it over where i mean it's 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 that's a huge challenge that again kind of glooms over all these big announcements as you say like you can have window dressing but if you're not resolving those underlying challenges and obstacles with the population or domestic issues so final question here in a few sentences why do minerals matter to society because they underlie civilization. Perfect. I like it. Very simple. And I think it's so true. But Steve, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to future conversations. Um, and we'll have you back on soon. I'd love to do it. Thank you, Thomas.